Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, my name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. This is the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Nikki Corbett. Some people just have a voice, a natural talent that is evident as soon as they open their mouth to sing a phrase. It is a very intimate thing. After all, the human voice is the only instrument that every person carries around with them everywhere they go. Whether they're any good at it or not, everyone can sing in the shower. Some of that distinctive sound of a person's voice is natural talent, but the best vocalists make it look easy, even though they may have spent countless hours learning the craft of singing. Nikki Corbett is that kind of singer. She was blessed with a naturally pleasing voice, and she learned how to use it at a young age in her native Canada. Early in her career, she found herself signed to a development deal with a major label, and long after relocating to Los Angeles, she continues to work with some of the best musicians in the business. Welcome to Independence Day, Nikki Corbett. Hi, Nikki. Hi, Joe. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for coming out. I appreciate it. Thank you for it. having us. For, Thank you for doing this. Yeah, thanks for bringing a band. Like it I love fun. it. Solo artists are always welcome, but it's fun when people bring other musicians because you get more of that interplay. Yes. And these are great players, too. These are great players, So yeah. fantastic. Well, let's, uh, we've introduced you. Let's introduce them real quick. Uh, you're going to play guitar, and mm. you're going to sing as well. Yeah. Singing. We're going to talk about singing in just a minute because that's like your, your main thing. Uh, Scroat. Uh, you may have heard of him. He was an Independence Day guest just uh, a couple months ago. Fantastic guitar player. He always I, I, he has the element of danger, <laughs> which, which is a Daniel Lanois thing. He always talks about, you know, he, he, when he's mixing, he's like, oh, I bring this in, I bring that in, and then the element of danger. Danger and surprise. Yeah, and that's what Scroat embodies that to me. Okay, and Ross Shodek on upright bass. Yes, The Ross. bull fiddle. I love calling it the bull fiddle. That's that, a great name for isn't it. Cool. So Ross, I actually came to me through Scrote. They okay. are North Texas alums. Ah, um, that's heavy. That's heavy stuff. Heavy, heavy hitters. Yeah, and he's yeah. new to LA, newish, and uh, hit the ground running. And uh, I, I pinned him down right away. I just pinned him as one of the best guys. So I love the upright. You never see Buddy Miller play a show with an electric bass. Always upright oh, bass. I should have done a Buddy Miller tune. So today. cool. You should. Oh man, you should have done a Buddy. Anyway, ah. uh, and then Carl Byron on keyboards. He's also going to play some accordion. One of my other favorite instruments as well. Yeah, he's multi. He's always got like the ham recorder and the. Yeah. He's got a lot of little things going on. And I've known Carl since I was 16. We've been playing together off and on over the years since I was a wee thing. I love it when musicians play numerous things at once. I don't know. I mean, to me, it's not a party trick as much as it is utilizing something that's there and you're not using. You know, it's not just to add it, just to add it. No. But if it suits it, you know, I I love that stuff. I think it's the coolest thing in the world. Like uh, Jay Bellarose. You watch yes, Jay play? Jay is uh, great. And they're doing these, this kind of like, he with Adam Levy are doing a residency sort of thing. Oh, up yes, at telling me about it. It's amazing. Go see him. I've seen him twice now. And it's like, you'll never see Jennifer Condos and uh, is it Rich Hinman, I think, playing pedal steel and guitar. And you won't see musicians of that caliber. You know, you can't do that in Des Moines. No. You, you know, just roll into a bar. But you could and, roll into like Moe's. That's where we saw them. Yeah. We saw... Uh, him the last time that we walked into Moe's to get a burger in there yeah. they were setting up and it was Gabe Witcher who played yeah. fiddle on my record yeah, yeah. Jay Bellarose on drums I know Jay like, Bellarose what are you doing sitting up in Moe's Jay restaurant Bellarose. oh we and, play here every Tuesday night and to watch that guy play I mean anyone who's never watched Jay play I highly encourage you just drop by YouTube and look up a video because he he doesn't play hi-hat like a normal drummer. What if there's such a thing as a normal drummer? He like piles things on top of his hi-hat or he'll tie bells and jingly things to one leg. I love and that. he'll play with on his when his right or his snare hand, he'll play with 
two sticks and three maracas, like at the same time, or in his right hand. He'll just he's just like this savant. Have you ever seen David Pilch play upright? He I does that where he's got he's an upright player. He's got bells and yeah. shakers and things taped to his legs while he's playing. It's great. Anyway, we're talking about everyone in the world but you, and That's we're here okay. to talk about you. I like talking you. about everybody. <laughs> so uh, you're you're Canadian originally. I'm Canadian, yes. And but you you came to the United States. How old were you when you came? Thirteen. To the US? Okay, fourteen. So you, okay, so you're essentially kind of American. You've kind got, of, but once Canadian, always Canadian. Yeah, you're not. So well, uh, when we uh, a little while later, I want to talk about like the differences between like the Canadian perception of music. And mm. the American, but first, that's not what I want to talk about. First, first, I want to talk about your voice. Yes, because your voice is like the it, not in like it is the main thing for you. Yeah. And so, so tell me, first of all, w- voice for you was this something? Did you, were you like a little girl just running around singing all the time? Did you come <laughs> from a musical family? Like, how did it become a thing for you? Because lots of people sing. Everybody sings in the shower. Sure. But it doesn't become a thing. So. Where do you make the leap? Yeah. Um, How did it get from from being a kid, like dancing around, singing Ring Around the Rosie, to singing with members of the Heartbreakers, et cetera? Well, it's funny because they are sort of roundabout, semi-responsible for that. But I always, as a kid, remember running around singing. And I remember um, my mom just saying, don't sing, you're terrible. Oh, and man. I know. And it just, it, it probably should have been kind of crushing, but it had the opposite effect. And that's probably the Canadian factor. I was like, <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. then I'm definitely going to sing. Yeah. The rebel in me was like, oh, I'm going to sing even more. Um, and then when I was about 16, I met those guys through friends of friends from Gainesville. And those guys you mean? Yeah. The, Tom and crew, Ben and Tom Mons Petty and, and his band, the Heartbreakers. Yeah. Okay. Just making sure people can't oh, see sorry. us, so they're they're yeah. not following along. They Thank can't you, see. Joe, helping me. Perhaps you've heard of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Is what I'm saying <laughs> to my audience. No, go on. Yes. So um, I started uh, just really getting interested, spending some time around uh, Ben Mont and becoming friends with him. Very young and keyboard so, player. Ben Mont keyboard player. Yeah, Tench, and just. I don't know. I just woke. I remember saying to like a friend who had in, sort of introduced me, another Gainesvillian, um, Jeff Gerard. I remember saying to him, um, "I I'm going to play guitar and sing." And at the time, he was in a band called the Motels. He was a guitar player in the Motels, original band member. And he I remember him just laughing. He pulled the car over. He was was like, this in Los Angeles? Yeah, he was about 28. So I what's was, the Gainesville connection for you? I'm sorry to interrupt. Like, through Jeff. So Jeff. Oh, was, I see, Jeff I see. was a friend of mine. I see. I see. And I see. Uh, yeah. And I remember just telling him, like, you know, here was this little kid. And I basically had a guitar and was, like, probably strumming it but not playing chords. And I said, I'm going to play guitar and sing. And he just pulled the car over and started giggling. And he's like, you're so funny. You're so cute. Like, you can't just do that. I'm like, why not? How old were you at this point? 16. Okay. Kid. Kid. Um, and then I left home the next year and went out on my own. And, and I remember first, like, the Recycler was very popular at the time. It's a newspaper right. in L.A. Just where, call them a rag. A rag. Where people connected, music, music people right. connected, and I'm just putting there an ad. There was a time before the internet. Oh, my gosh. And we actually had to talk to each other and read things on paper. And this is how we found each other. This is how I found yeah. the first people I played with. I don't even remember how I, I met Carl or found Carl. But, uh, in started- Chicago, it was the Reader. And in New York, it was the, the voice, the village That's voice. Right. You know, so every and time we had, had a reader here too. We had an LA yeah. reader, right, right. So yeah, I started connecting with musicians. I was living on my own in Santa Monica, sharing an apartment with some friends, and started just playing. And at the time, Benmont was playing with Lone Justice and uh, doing live shows with different bands, and he started playing live shows with me. 
Um, and then my career kind of jolted forward rather quickly. Yeah. Yeah, and that led you to, there was one point at which you were you were signed by EMI at some point? Yes, I was signed to EMI Music Publishing when I was like 20, okay. three or four. Okay, I want to hear about that, but yeah. first, let's play some music. Great. Okay, because we've talked, we talked for several minutes. I, don't, I try not to talk too much before we get some music Slowly. in there, because that's like the main attraction, right? Perfect. So your most recent record is called To Lose a Girl. Yes. Correct? Came out in 2013, coincidentally produced by Scrote, who's playing guitar. Yes. Uh, out for you today, live, and he plays on the record. Does he play on the record? Plays on the record. Okay. Um, is amazing producer. And man, if you I mean if you look down the list of people who played on this record, I mean, other than you and Scrote, I mean, you've got Brett Simons, you've got Ben Montench, Greg Leitz, uh, Sean Watkins, uh, gosh, so I mean, Rami Jaffe, Jackson Brown. Perhaps you've heard of Jackson Brown people. In any case, uh, we picked the song. Where is it? Right here. Okay, gonna be all right. So this is uh, Nikki Corbett with the song "Gonna Be All Right" from her record "To Lose a Girl" on Independence Day.
My name is Joe Armstrong. You are listening to Independence Day. Thank you very, very much for doing so. You can drop by the Independence Day website anytime, 24 hours a day. We're open. I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y. That's indepday.com. Also, please follow us on Twitter. I'm trying to be better about Instagramming, but I don't even know the name, so I'm not doing a very good job with that. <laughs> uh, but I've got like six accounts. I've got one for the show. I've got my own personal account. I need to sort this stuff out. I'll maybe. put a picture on for you today. I need to sort this stuff out. I know. You know we, it's hard to keep up. We live in a, It is hard to keep up. We live in a digital world, man. I'm a busy guy. <laughs> you know, I produce a lot of radio and I climb mountains and make beer. I can do all kinds of crazy stuff. You make stuff. beer? I do. I do do you making, have one that you made? I do. I've been I've been oh. making beer for like, I don't know, 17 years I'm maybe. I'm going to have to try one of those. Sure. Yeah, it's a party favor. I'll give you one on the way out. Thank you. In any case, let's digress, get back to music sure. here. Uh, Nikki Corbett is my guest. She's based in Southern California. She's originally a Canadian, still I guess a Canadian by birth. Uh, do you have a U.S. Uh, are you, yeah, are you I'm dual, yeah. Okay. So I'm now, Canada lets you hold your your original, so yeah, I'm dual. Reciprocity. It's pretty yeah, cool. It is nice. If you're going to be from any country, man, I mean, Americans like to talk about being exceptional, but Canada's like the coolest, I think. I love my country still. It's like the cooler little and brother. And I love my new country. It is. You know? Uh, and then the less argumentative <laughs> and less violent little brother. Less violent. Maybe not less argumentative, but less violent. And I don't know. the humor's wacko, you yeah. know? Things are seen through a lens of, you yeah. know, if you think about kids in the hall, yeah. it's kind of like the wacko, Labatt's blue humor. Yeah. Well, whereas like Australia, if you've ever been to Australia, to me Love it feels Australia. like a cross between Southern California and England. It's like Canada just feels like Iowa if it were a country. Yeah, I would say that's true. You know, just polite people. Better taste in music. Sorry, sorry. 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 Anyway, I love Canadians. <laughs> in any case, so we were talking about the voice, your voice, and yes. how you kind of got to be a thing. So you did, were, were you trained at some point, or are you just completely, no, and completely it, natural about how you go to do your thing? Completely natural, and then later maybe you know, took a little spot lesson here and there just to work on, you know, not damaging my throat. Yeah, but yeah. I, you know, it's funny, some of the people who originally saw me play, and I'm talking about like the heyday of the new wave 80s, like, you know, when we were playing on a bill with the Go-Go's, R.E.M. and the police at Madame Wong's Chinatown, and right. none of those bands were known or signed or whatever, everybody was just kind of yeah. up there doing their thing, and some of the fans and people I connected with then are still my friends, uh, or followers or fans, and uh, it's fun to hear from them when we get together socially, they tell me funny stories about my first days on stage that I, my recollection, it's just a different perspective. So okay. their stories would be like, you were so cute. You were up there in high heels and you played guitar so bad and you sang so badly. And it was, and I'm like, oh, but you had no idea that you were even not good. You just didn't seem to care. It was like watching a little kid on a trike. You were just, oh, did I? I'm singing and playing guitar. Yeah, yeah. And then at some point, I grew into my boots, you know, right, if, right. That, if you could say that. And then I just woke up one day and I could actually do it. And that I don't, the transition for me is blurry because I was doing it. But do you for think others, it, it was profound. I, I mean, think. obviously there's that, the, the adage, you know, practice makes perfect. Mm. But, you know, so just doing it, I guess, maybe getting more experience, getting your sea legs under you to use yet another metaphor for it. But, um, so it was just a moment, like you all of a sudden realized, or did, did people start saying like, hey, wow, actually you're kind of good at this now. Like, how did it change? I, yeah, gosh, you know, I remember somebody coming up to me after a show and saying, I'm from EMI Music Publishing, I want to sign you tomorrow to a publishing deal. And I remember thinking, I better get what's a that? lawyer. <laughs> I said, I said, what's that? And she said, oh, yeah. do you have a lawyer? And I'm like, oh, I know somebody. And yeah. so I called somebody who's now a hugely famous 
um, big wig lawyer in the music industry, and he was pretty big back then, and uh, he handled it all and yeah. gracefully entranced me into the machinations right, of right. the music it's business. It's one of those things, like, if you, if you think you need a lawyer, you probably do. Yeah. You know, it's like I always say, if you think you're on fire, if you might think you might be on fire, you probably are. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, if you think you need a lawyer... I was... Yeah, it kind of just took, yeah, I guess that's kind of what did it. I've always just done it because I truly love to do it. When I open my mouth to sing, it's like the joy is irreplaceable. Yeah. There's nothing. And you are a great singer. Thank you, uh, You have a very natural um, a natural sound to what you're doing. I mean, it sounds, it, should is a dangerous word. Like all of us who've ever been to any, even one therapy session, like the first thing you learn is that should is a very dangerous word. Yes. But it sounds as if you should be singing Thank to me you. in the world. Well, and I think that practice without instinct is nothing. Yeah. Oh, look at you with your greeting card philosophies. Oh, yes. My, little, <laughs> my, lyric, my lyric bombs, let's call them. Yeah. So I feel very lucky and blessed that I have good instincts. Yeah. And I'm finding them more and more, even writing this new record. I was uh, talking to Scrote about a track and... And I was playing something, and he was sort of in the room saying, oh, that's kind of cool. And then I did this, and I just jumped up the guitar. Now, I play guitar, you know, I'm a rhythmish player, but wouldn't consider Enough anything spectacular. Yeah, I think I play yourself. well. I feel very comfortable, but I don't generally, like, shoot up the neck and start playing lead or anything. And I just shot up the neck and started playing, and I happened to be playing the right notes. Like, is that... Now, did I happen to be playing the right notes? Do I instinctively know where those notes are? I didn't practice that that was the same key up there and I really don't know it when I look at the guitar and yet those instincts I find that they're there a lot and on other instruments as well I can play yeah. some bass um, piano well that's going to be I still want to talk about the EMI thing but yeah. before we do I want to sure. do two things first I want to say uh, ask like how much of this do you think is natural ability versus oh. work right now I don't mean I'm talking in general like both for you and in general with musicians because sure. um, like in your case you know you felt like you kind of sucked for a while, you know, or people maybe even told you as much, you know, your mom said, Hey, you're no good at doing this, Nikki. Right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but then true. you've kept doing it. Right. And that's a different kind of work. Some people study it. Right. Yes, so, but some people can music school. Right. And some people can study it forever and still not have that knack. And they can, some people can then, you know, supersede or get past that lack of knack mm-hmm. for lack of a better word and kind of still function. But I think if you've got both, you're kind of firing on all cylinders, and for like, how, was it for you? Which way was it? Like, was it was it just the work? You think? No, but because I you have. Think you seems like was, you have the knack. I think it was all instinct. It still yeah. is for me. I do the work in the sense that I will play my guitar, and I will always push myself and push my writing, push the the way in which I'm writing. Like I'm doing a project now, a side project with Blair Sinta, who played drums on this record, by the way, and he was amazing on Toulouse Girl, and he had these drum loops. I've never written to a loop, and I thought, well, that would be an interesting way to write a song. I write very much like an acoustic singer-songwriter, pick up a guitar, scratch a paper, maybe wrote something earlier in the day, and fit them together, work it out. And so starting from that jumping point just got a really different uh, product, you know, different end result, and it was it was great. So I will do things to stimulate myself in my environment um, musically, switch instruments, or switch ways that I start writing. Yeah. That can be helpful. I say this to almost everyone, like Tom Waits, and I agree with this sentiment ex- uh, wholeheartedly. Uh, he likes to play different instruments, instruments he may not be particularly good at, what yes. you would call your non-principal instrument, because that's when you get those happy accidents, and that's when you do things that are 
you maybe you wouldn't have done because you're trained on that instrument and you do something wholly different. And I love that about working with Scrote on that record because he uh, was very supportive. He's very non-judgmental. He's very, you know, provocative and cutting edge. And yeah. I was like, yeah, pick that up. Who cares if you never played that? Play it, you know. Element of danger. <laughs> danger, danger. Um, and so that was great to be nurtured in that environment because yeah. that is my instinct. I've played, I've hammered on a chair with a hammer on a song before. I mean, yeah. I, I'll grab anything in the room um, very much into percussion and percussive yeah. stuff. So... It's been it's been an interesting journey. I think that, you know, regarding schooling, you can school the heck out of somebody, but without the instincts, they will only get to a certain level. Yeah. So you can have all the instincts and not have the schooling and probably go beyond that, but you can have all the schooling and not have the instincts and you're never going to go beyond the schooling, in my opinion, yeah. in my experience. Well, some of that's tied to style too, though. It is, Because right. some, styles of inst- like some styles of music, knowing too much is actually uh, a negative thing. Uh, punk music, for example. Oh, you know, great example. Like, if you they they abhor. I mean, I'm speaking they as if I know all punk musicians, no, but it but seems like the ethos is kind of sucking a little. You sure. know, like knowing too much about the instrument is a detriment to what they're trying to do. Yeah. It's all about the emotion. It's and knowing and throwing raw. it away. Yeah, and you're disregarding all that you know and just pure emotion and and I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm giving a bad. No, I think I think you're making a great point because when you know you. Once you know, okay, here's another greeting card. Here we come. Once you know, a bell. it's too hard to throw it away. You, you, it's, it's hard to unlearn. It's hard to unlearn. Whereas a person who doesn't know and is willing to be daring and, and yeah. not self-conscious, I said Canadians aren't self-conscious. I'm not speaking for all of you Canadians, but definitely I'm not you are self-conscious. Right now for yeah, this, for this I am. conversation. There you go. Um, you'll, you'll jump. I'll jump. I'll jump without a net. Okay, yeah. get up on stage and play that can with that thing attached to it and make a yeah. note come out of it okay yeah and so that takes you places i've had um working with these guys even and, and producers say to me oh that's really cool what you did in that song it's called blah 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 and the beatles used to do it a lot it was a favorite thing of george martin i'm like what what are you talking and it's got a name this particular i don't know set of chord changes or mm-hmm. and i'm just doing it instinctively i've never had i don't read music i haven't had a music class yeah um, but then, you know, there would be those that would argue if you took someone like myself who has good instincts and um, got them some classes, they would be yeah. whoosh, off the off the charts. So, yeah, as far as being inspired, you know, I haven't had like an inclination to go back to school and go get a degree in music or anything like that. But I think I'm always sort of pushing myself. Um, he did an amazing, Scrote did an amazing live uh, show last year and threw a bunch of stuff at me and said, play on these 10 songs, these instruments. And I was like, ah. And my brain was like, how do musicians learn? I'm always giving people my songs. No one's giving me their songs and saying, here's the songs, figure out the chords, learn them, read the charts. Um, And I like that. I like being challenged. And so I guess in my own way, I'm stepping up to those challenges. I played on a a record for Scrote that he produced and I came in, and there was charts, and I don't read charts, so I read them. <laughs> Two, one. I mean, everybody's on their own path in that regard, because, you know, there's a style of music, because there's a certain level of excellence. Like, you think of someone like Pavarotti, or mm. is it Joshua Bell, or who, these people who are virtuosos. Um, yeah. I can't think of other people like off the top of my head right now who are widely considered to be... Jazz. 
great you know, jazz, jazz great jazz, you know, yeah. Coltrane and Dizzy and Miles, et cetera. People who've, uh, who've achieved this level that's almost otherworldly. Stevie Ray Vaughan, I honestly felt was like Yeah, that. he was amazing. I've never seen any musician. Uh, I've seen Dizzy Gillespie, and honestly, I thought Stevie Ray Vaughan was better. I've mm-hmm. never seen anything like it in my entire life. And I'm not even that big of a blues guy, but yeah. I've never seen anything like that. Where did you see him? I saw him twice. I saw him uh, in sh- both times near Chicago right. growing up. I saw him before he cleaned up, and he was stupidly, astoundingly good. I saw him the night he died. What? And I've never seen anything like that in my entire life. I mean, you saw that concert. So that was yeah, I was there. Oh my goodness! Yeah, I was eating a bratwurst in the parking lot when his helicopter crashed into the ski hill at Alpine Valley Music. You Theater. saw it? No, nobody did. Nobody knew because it was foggy. Oh. No one even knew till the next day. The helicopter, like in the middle of the night, they discovered the helicopter never showed up in Chicago. Mm. And then. You know, we all found out the next day because there was no internet. We couldn't have known. You know, it's not like it is. Yeah, that's now. strange too with music. That whole how quick things are accessible. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so cheers to Stevie Ray, man. You were uh, one of the absolute greats, like nothing I've ever seen. So let's let's. Uh, I still want to talk about the CMI thing because it's kind of a curious thing for people because that was like getting signed with the yeah. little air quotes was like the biggest thing. And in not the signed world. as a writer because right. I was a writer, but at those days you could be signed as a writer, like uh, like a Diane Warren, right? Who never wants to be an artist, who never wants to right, sing right, or perform, right. or you could be signed as a development artist, which is how I was signed. Right. But so let's let's come back and talk to that. What I was going to yeah. say is let's play let's play a song because you've okay, got this great. fantastic band here. Yes. Um, and this first. Song, I'm going to give a, give a little alert here. This is an Independence Day uh, public service announcement. This first song is not safe for work. So if you're jamming this in your cubicle and you don't have headphones on, uh, maybe you should put headphones on now. Or if you're easily offended by strong language, maybe you should skip forward five minutes. Uh, it's a fantastic song and it's called Effed Up Thing, except it's not effed, right? Yes. Okay. And is this on the to lose, uh, How to Lose a Girl? No, this is a new song oh, uh, new, I'm new. working on for a new record. Okay, fantastic. So, Nikki Corbett and her band of stellar musicians, the song Effed Up Thing. I am Joe Armstrong on Independence Day. There's a blast that I get standing next to your mess. Is it divine bliss on a train? Rolling fast, are we going to wreck? Or is this madness? I can't take it anymore I don't want to go to
jump through the door if you won't have me don't want to be yours speak the truth kill the girl hide her deep in the forest cause she'll come back for That's Nikki Corbett and her band. Fantastic, Nikki. Thank you so much. Thank you, Joe. So good. Thank you. So good. And then, by the way, and if you know, you can uh, anybody who has virgin ears, who's offended by profanity, uh, maybe it's it's safe to come back now. Yes, it's safe cool. for sure. If you if you uh, you know, in all these episodes, hundred and almost hundred and fifty episodes, there's no swearing, as I understand it, and uh, so that's very few and far between that that happens. Am I the first one to have a song with a swear word in it? No, you are not. Okay. You do not get that distinction. Um, Although you do mention it. It's in the chorus and the title, so I think you're a high watermark or a low watermark, depending on how you're going to look at it. Canadian, what can I say? Yeah, those foul Canadians with their foul mouths and bad attitudes. Okay, so we've been trying, we've been kind of tumbling towards this thing because growing up uh, in 80s, 90s, maybe even some of the 70s, getting signed. Like capital S I G N E D was the thing that everybody strove for. Yeah. Like everybody thought in the music business, when I'm signed, I won't have any problems anymore. When I'm signed, I'll have a record label behind me to do all these things. I'll have an AR team and I'll have someone to do artwork and I'll have a bus and I'll have a limousine and I'll have cocaine and chicks and dudes and everything I want, right? Yes. Tell me the reality. It's just, yeah, none of that. Yeah. It's, I mean, for some people, maybe. Maybe. But um, not for most. The thing I found the oddest about it, because I'm a pretty independent spirit, um, was just little things, you know, because I thought you might ask, and I was thinking, what was odd about it? What was unusual about it? Um, just the business just has its own workings. It's a machine, like like any larger machine, like an educational system, it's like a It's a very college. complex system. It's a complex system with so much going on. I mean... I found out like 10 years after my deal was over that they were going to own my songs forever. Mm, that's nice. And I did, wasn't told that, didn't know that at the time. And my attorney at the time, did, that was not made clear to me. He helped me wrangle out of it at some point, but, you know, and have it revert. But yeah, that was crazy for yeah. for that. There um, are so many stories, you know, now that, you see, the thing, the, the big thing is like the industry turned it. I kind of collapsed, Right. When the internet came along and people stopped buying music, when you know everything became free, as Gillian Welch says in her song, and uh, Napster came along, and it's not that it's necessarily—I mean, I guess it's bad in the sense that people are—it's like the Wild West and people aren't being paid, and they mm-hmm. still aren't being paid the way they should be. But they kind of never were. It's just that we're being robbed by different people now. It's like the, I always talk about the internet connects music musicians and their fans, but it's just removed all those middle people. Now we're robbed directly by the fans that's instead a of great having the way record of label robbing, at it. At, robbing us. So, but I mean, so that's bad. But it's also allowed us to connect with people. It's allowed us to record things. It's for allowed n- us to do this. Almost what we're nothing doing today. 
yeah, it's allowed us to record at home for almost nothing and to make albums and reach your fans and record a song, put it up on SoundCloud that day, that night, mm-hmm. or just email it to people. Or uh, there's a new Brian Adams album coming out. This is, I don't know what made me think of this, produced by Jeff Lynne, which is a kind of a cool juxtaposition between those two, but I guess they weren't really ever in the same room. No. Adams lives, I think, in London these days. Jeff mm. Lynne lives in LA. So they just sent tracks back and forth. A lot of people do that. On the internet. They never were there in the same room. And it sounds cool. It does. And and I don't think it's any less collaborative from my experience. Cause it's this, just different. The project I'm working on with Blair Senta, the Loop Project, it, it, we're doing that way. Yeah. With people, different people are on the road. Uh, Tim Lefebvre, who plays bass with Tadashi Trucks, is doing the bass for it, has done the bass for two tracks. And yeah, I send it to him when he's on the road. He has yeah. time. He sends it back, you know? Yeah. Um, one I mean, of the things different. that was. Oh, sorry. One of the things I was going to say about the industry that was so strange back then that surprised me because I was very young um, at the time when I was signed is that people were working out deals behind your back, behind the deal. So I got wind that I was going to be signed to MCA because the head of MCA at the time played golf with my manager. And I jumped in and was like, no, 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 no. I don't want to be signed to a record deal because you play golf together. I want someone to really get what I do, appreciate it, stand behind it and be there for it. So I, you know, I kiboshed some things that might've gone better, but I, my integrity was already there, even at that age. I just I didn't want to be some, the product of somebody's golf game or yeah. business. Deal. Well, there the thing is, I was trying to think like there are, initially as you were talking, I was thinking there are like two ways to do it. Like there's there's to take any advantage you can possibly have, right? Because payola exists. It exists even now. Sure, it always did. Yeah, right. You buy your way in, whether it's your money or somebody else's, yeah. doesn't matter. Or there's like that staunch like Springsteenian ethos where it's like just going to work hard. <laughs> the American like blue collar dream sure. kind of BS thing. Like I'm just going to work, and if I work, I'll get success. You know, wow. like the American daydream, I call it. Yeah, right? daydream. And uh, but there's actually there's not just two ways. Like those are the two like big flag ways over on this side and that side. But like there are as many ways to do it as there are people doing it, and there yes. always were. Right. It's just that the old paradigm collapsed on itself. The record labels still exist. They're like big dinosaurs walking around after the asteroid hit. <laughs> right, they're just walking around because they've got plenty of money and they're huge. I like that. Image. Or, or they've kind of morphed. You know, the smart ones like Network N E T W E R K, maybe two T's. I don't remember, but like they've morphed into like artist management, yeah, and other Q type Prime. stuff. And Q Prime, there's other companies that do it in a different way. So, uh, I, mean, I just find these topics fascinating so you know thank you for talking about them with me you're welcome it's so much fun it's I fun to stuff. see who survived and i'm still in touch and close with some people on that end of the industry yeah. and it's interesting to see them kind of go through that panic of like what am i going to do everything's folding i'm not going to have a job i'm not going to be making three million a year running yeah. a label anymore i gotta start thinking outside the box and i was just talking to a friend of mine last night and we were he was he was being very critical of bono you know for like not for like having all this money but singing about poor people. And some people say the same thing about like Springsteen or other, you know, people who kind of embody the blue collar work. Channel the every man. The every man. But I don't I think that's unfair. I, I do feel, too. I feel like that the entire universe when you're an artist in a lot of ways is kind of lined up against you all these challenges all these things that you have to overcome your personal life yes the fact that from birth you have relatives who tell you oh you got to have something to fall back on you better do something else music's yeah. a hard row and they're right but it doesn't mean you shouldn't do it because i think it's courageous to do those things and why too. not take advantage of every possible thing when you start out as a musician you don't know if you're going to strike a spark and you're going to sell 20 million records or you don't know if you're going to wind up being the jayhawks who are among the the best bands I've ever heard in my entire life, who aren't wealthy. They make a living. 
you know, they get by it, but they never had the success that was warranted given their talent level. And there are countless artists I can think of like that. So I, I don't know. I'm taking a stand on the fact that I'm not being judgmental in the sense that whether it's good or bad one way or another, but I do not blame anyone for taking any amount of success they can get by any means necessary in the music business. And I'm not the one to judge. Yes. Who's to say who blew who to get a record deal? You know, I don't know. I'm not going to be judgmental about it. Yeah, that's where being a girl back then comes in so yeah. differently than being No, I get a it. Guy. But I think there are double standards in terms of how our society Absolutely. views women and what they're willing to do and what the double standard of being a woman just in general walking down the street. Yeah. So anyway, so we've talked about the EMI thing a little bit and make sure. come up a little bit. And I actually, that you'd stumbled across the next topic I want to talk about, which is being a woman in music. Ah, uh, yes. So, but first another song. What's this next one going to be, Nikki? Uh, it's called The Way It Makes Me Feel. Tell me just a little bit about it. So this is also something I'm working on for my next record. Um, just kind of pushing a new, little... New, new. New, record. And just working at pushing some of the chord changes, uh, going for a little bit more interesting depth and texture with changes and uh, getting a little bit away from more of the Americana right. sort of folk. Also working with Scrooge on this? I'm not sure yet. Just okay. kind of just getting started writing sort of tapering songs. Raising some funds. Okay, let's do that. All right, so Nikki Corbett, you can visit her on the internet, not her personally, but you can learn all about her. NikkiCorbett.com. And you're a Y, Nikki, N-I-C-K-Y. I am a Y. Should have brought that up a long time ago. Corbett, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. So it's a Y and two Ts. But you can visit her, NikkiCorbett.com. She's on Facebook, although there's a little confusion as to whether or not the link is simple and elegant. So, But you can find her on, just look her up. You can find her on Facebook. Also, Instagram.com slash CorbettNikki. And follow her on Twitter at NikkiCorbett720. And I'm gonna. It's my goal to like to get you tweeting more. It's a I fun know. way to reach people. I like it. I got I got sucked into the Instagram and the picture taking, and yeah. so I got a I got a tweet. I got a tweet from a radio station in, gosh, I think it was Chicago, yeah. and they played one of my songs, and I tweeted back and said thank you, and it was great. Yeah, Twitter sure. for me is like it's like Facebook without the cat videos. Yeah, and all the commentary. I like it short yeah, and sweet. Short and sweet. Anyway, uh, we live in a Twitter world and YouTube world. So, Nikki Corbett, one more time, the way it makes me feel on Independence Day. You don't notice me. You don't see me there. You don't say the words Oh, whisper in my ear The way it makes me feel The way it makes me feel So So bad 
crashing through the trees But you don't see me down Oh, how can I believe The way it makes me feel The way it makes me feel so bad The way it makes me feel My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you ever so much for listening to Independence Day. We come to you every Wednesday night. You can listen at In-Depth Day. There's uh, all the podcasts are there, 140-some, almost 150 episodes there. Also, you can go to indepthday.com slash iTunes to hear all the episodes on iTunes. This week's guest, Nikki Corbett with a Y, N-I-C-K-Y, Corbett with two T's, C-O-R-B-E-T-T. Drop by NikkiCorbett.com. Hi, Nikki. Hi. Another great song. Thank you. Another great band, too. Yeah. God, you play with the best people. I'm lucky. See, that's the thing. It's like, at what point did that blessing kind of happen? I mean, I, definitely early on, I started playing with some great people, but yeah, yeah I'm just, I feel very lucky. And Yeah. Honored. Well, that's the thing. Like, there's that adage, I love this adage, where you should always play with people, whether it's sports or music or whatever, you should always play with people better than you are. That's a screw. Oh, he says to myself. Always, always, yeah. always. But the thing is, like, it's convincing people who are better than you are to play with you is the yeah. key. Right. Yeah, like with tennis, you want to play with somebody better than you, but who wants to yeah. play with you if you're not as good as them? Get right, and if you know, going. and if you get into sports, like then you're, you don't want to lose all the time because then it's not very much fun. I mean, mm-hmm. losing sometimes is fine, but we can't all be the Cubs and lose for a hundred and X number of years, whatever that is. Um, so yes, yeah, such great players on your record, such great players that play with you live. And Lucky we talked girl. about the EMI thing, right? Yes. And but I want to talk about like some people think you shouldn't actually talk about this like the, being a woman in music, right? Because then it kind of maybe draws attention to the fact that it's not equitable or not the way it should be. And some people think that there is no such thing as a glass ceiling, but I think they're out of their minds. So tell me from your perspective, is, I mean, has, have things changed? Has it gotten better? Um, was it terribly bad at one point? Is it terribly bad now? You know, I, I, being Canadian... I seem to have a pretty good sense of humor about it all. I think it depends on, you know, wh- how much offense you take to those things. Right. I do find that they are part of everyday life, but within the realm of the music business, I would say much less now because you can do it yourself. I can plug in a microphone and a guitar, record live and send it streaming, and nobody's going to tell me they're confused about the fact that I've changed my hair color. Right. This is a real story. I was signed, and a lot of A&R guys were coming down to see me, and I was very close to signing a deal with a big label and they called up my attorney and said we're just really confused because she turned changed her hair cut you know like she put a different color in her hair and and why is she wearing that skirt and i was like are you kidding i said tell him to bleep off i said i get a sense of humor go away i was just it was very hard for me to understand but there is a very preconceived and certainly back then the business about the marketing of women i'm sure this happened with artists like britney spears or you know young moldable females um and i just wasn't going to be molded so maybe i shot myself in the foot but that's fine i lived a good lived a good life a good musical life yeah well you can Um, you're still at it it's like don't say it in the past tense yeah no i I don't mean it like that i just meant as far as that business model i think is gone there's nobody telling me why'd you change your hair color my hair was blonde it was red now it's blonde again no one's even 
questioned. You know what I'm yeah. saying? It's I mean, like different. I feel like men, I mean, men get it too, to an sure, extent. Absolutely. Like, you know, you, and, and to a certain extent, although I'm not justifying it, to a certain extent, I understand it in the old paradigm. Someone's investing a boatload of money in you. Yeah. You are now a product yes. that they are going to sell. Yes. Right? And if you get to a product on a certain level and somebody's investing enough music in what you're doing, should they have a say? Probably. If they're investing that you meant much. enough money. What, what did I say? I'm sorry. Money is enough music. Yeah, I'm sorry. If they're yeah. in, if they're investing enough money sure. in what you're doing, should they have a say? And the answer is probably yes. Yeah, I would to agree. To a certain extent. I mean, we all want artistic freedom, artistic yeah, freedom. Yeah. And yes, we do. And yes, we deserve it. But it goes, again, there's like, there, everything's gray. That's one thing you learn when you become older. And I don't mean gray as in drab. I mean gray no, as in not black and white. Blend, yeah. You know, there's somewhere in the middle is where these realities exist. And I mean, there's a, a short story I'm going to tell you real quick. I used Please. to work. I used to work in a music store. Would sell recording gear because I couldn't stand selling guitars and picks and other stuff. So the recording gear, the echelon of people that were coming back to the recording department seemed to be a little more intelligent to me. They were working in music and not just you know playing at the bars, and that's fine. That's not not to denigrate people who are just playing in the bars, but it was easier to deal with that. Plus, I could shut the door. Yeah, because the keyboard department was right outside, and it was all all the time. ELP. Totally. And uh, actually, not Emerson, Lake, and Palmer. That was uh, Europe. Remember that song? Uh, the final countdown. Now I've modulated yeah. keys too. Everyone's. <laughs> in any case, um, the people that would come in. So I, you know, but I, I was on the guitar floor somewhere, and this girl was in there, and I, I made the mistake of saying, "So you know, how you doing? You know, what are you doing? Oh, I'm hanging out. You know, are you are you here with your boyfriend?" Right. And now, like, this is a long time ago, but now mm. I see the error in the way. But I honestly, I didn't mean it to imply that she wasn't there shopping for herself. Or that she couldn't play. Or that she couldn't play. Or that she wasn't capable as a musician. I, from my perspective, she just wasn't playing anything. She was standing there. Right. So, from my perspective, I just see someone standing there and I'm making conversation because she looks bored. Sure. But what I can't, what I don't know, because I'm not a woman, is that from her perspective, maybe she's intimidated. Maybe she doesn't know who to talk to. Maybe she's offended. Maybe she, I'm sorry? Or maybe she's offended. No, I mean, before I talk to her. Yeah, oh yeah, yes, of course. Right, before I speak to her. So she's just standing there. Like, I would be eager to help her. And I'm equal opportunity. Everybody can play music. I don't care if you're black, white, gay, straight, woman, male, some of both. I just don't care. I'm very welcoming to all all people. Like, I sound like Donald Trump right now. I will be the best with all people in any case. (sighs) But I felt terrible because I understand why she would feel as if I was implying that she wasn't because a musician. Because of ex- life experience. Because of life experience. But that's not what I meant at all. Yeah. You know, but I think I, that's where I'm saying having a good sense of humor comes yeah. in. Well, we think, we yeah. played at Madame Wong's at the time was one of the big 80s clubs. There was a Chinatown and there was a Santa Monica. And we were playing downstairs and George Thorogood happened to be there at night and came in the audience. And, and we were in more of a rock group at the time. This was one of my bands before I was solo. And um, I remember him coming backstage after him talking and he said, you play good rhythm guitar for a girl. And I, a lot of women would be really offended by That's that. It's like a double slam. Yeah, and I just, I laughed and smiled and I took it the right way. It was like there was a little bit of humor and a twinkle in the eye and a wink, wink. And I was like, he was actually saying I played well, so that was great. Yeah. But, you know, that's where that perspective... I, you know, I'm pretty loose. I have things roll off my shoulders pretty quickly that way. I, I just I don't look for offense. I don't I don't take a lot in that yeah. realm, and and I also don't put up a lot of guff. I mean, I can't tell you how many times I was jumped when I was 20. You know, yeah. in a business meeting at whatever major record label, and I'm all of sure. a sudden they and our guys across the desk and you know hopping on top of me, and I'm just laughing hysterically, going, "Get off! What do you think you're doing?" Yeah. 
you know, people would be really offended, turned off to the business. I was just like, whatever. Just, yeah. Just, just stop. Just, yeah, just, you look ridiculous. <laughs> have, have some dignity. You look have ridiculous. I don't look ridiculous. Yeah. yeah. Have some dignity. Okay, so has, has that gotten better? I think it has because of the access to make music, put out music. I mean, that album that you're looking at here, My Toulouse Girl, some of the greatest players in the world are on that. That photographer, famous punk rock photographer, Ed Culver, amazing, talented guy, um, shot all the early punk days in Los Angeles, has a lot of exhibits going on, uh, amazing talent himself. You can connect because of the internet. And Ed, I knew Ed from the early days. He shot yeah. a couple bands I was in early on, and I just found him on Facebook, shot him a note, reconnected. Hey, I would, I'd love to have you shoot my cover. That's stuff that was sort of out of your hands because the machination, the hands of the machine right. were arranging it all. And now we can arrange it all. Right. So there's many less, like you say, middlemen, and you're straightly dealing with the photographer, the yeah. website designer, the producer and uh everything's you know equitable and negotiable and yeah this is i feels like there's a lot more respect because of it yeah that infrastructure of the people that would be taking advantage of you is largely gone it's gone so you don't have to deal with those shysters because they're they just don't exist or they're working in marketing now yeah i can't remember the last time someone said anything funny to me like oh for a girl or you play well for a girl well you know what the retort is i mean people say this all the time like you know i'm getting to the point where i have gray in my beard and like oh haha you're an old guy ha joe you're an old guy and i just say how'd you like to get your ass kicked by an old guy (laughs) now i mean it in jest But if they're, you know, I'm not, I'm not a violent guy. I'm not going to kick anybody's ass, right? No. But if they're going to, you know, that's, that's a way to kind of do a retort where it's like, okay, you think, I'm, you think I'm a girl? You know, you think I play like a girl? How'd you like to get schooled by a girl? How yeah. would that feel for you? You know? Well, so turn it around. I show up. It's like I always, you know, when I've been asked to do different shows or sit in and play in things that aren't my thing, I always just say, you know, you can count on me. I'll show up and I'll give it a yeah. my all. And that's something you can always count on with me. So Yeah. Well, it's like Woody Allen. Half of success in life is showing up, right? <sighs> yeah. Showing up, being on time, doing it right. I joke, though. I joke that I, there are, I feel like there are two reasons I'm not more successful in music. One is that I'm not big into drugs. Yeah, I've never been. And two, I show up on time. And I feel like in, in, in music business, those two things are actually a liability. <laughs> that's terrible. It's a weird, it's like a weird paradigm. Anyway, let's, let's jump into another song here. Sure. So we've got a couple more I want to get to before okay, we great. run out of time. What's this next one going to be? It's called No Cure. No Cure. Tell me about this one. This is also from a batch of writing I've been doing the oh, last year. All these new songs. I'm so, I know. I, feel I thought so it'd lucky. be fun to do, yeah, to just try them out. And it's fun to stretch them with musicians because sometimes you write it and right. then you get in a room and the bass player does something really cool and you're like, oh, man. oh I love that. And that changed the direction of the tune or Scrot will throw in something really interesting. Let's play um, the tune. I want to yeah, come back and that's, t- that's perfect segue. Let's talk about writing when we okay, come great. back. Because I've got, I've got very definitive thoughts about these kinds of things. Awesome. Okay, so once again, Nikki Corbett, so very proud to have her on Independence Day. Drop by indepthday.com to hear this episode. Also, indepthday.com slash iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at indepthday. And of course, visit her at nikkicorbett.com. One more song, brand new song from her, Nikki Corbett and Independence Day. All right, this song is called No Cure. <laughs> Nobody gets in, not even the postman, not even the gardener. I 
feel too much There's blood pouring in and it's hot Now for sure There's no Drown me in medicine I'm waking up way too fast My heart is bottled and tight Exploding inside of this box I'm undone For some That I had found the perfect way around Flying but not falling down I never counted you in I'm all alone in this wind I never counted you in When I Once again, Nikki, badass. Good work. Thank you, Joe. Good work. I like the new material. It's been fun. I've been enjoying writing and uh, experimenting a little bit. I mean, I'm not super familiar with your catalog, but like having listening, doing my pre-production for this, like just hearing the growth between even to 2013 and now is fantastic. It's, Thank it's you. fascinating. I love to see how artists grow and change. And that brings me to my next topic, mm. which is writing. Such a big thing because you, um, you know, how we started off our conversation today, like your voice is like, your, is the thing. For what you do. I mean, you play yep. guitar, you accompany yourself, right? Did you learn guitar so that um, you could accompany yourself? Yeah, kind of around the same time, started humming melodies and like, okay, how do I teach other people my songs, you know? So had an acoustic guitar, okay, got a chord book, that's an A, that's a D. I probably had like six or seven, you know, classic guitar folk, A minor, E minor, right, right, right. C, G, D, you know, the basics, F, ooh, throw in an F. Yeah, that's the challenge. Yeah, F is the monster. Um, and then really explored about as deep as you can go within that sort of, those kind of acoustic chords. And uh, coming into the record with Scrote, To Lose a Girl, I was starting to branch out a little bit, work my way up the neck. You know, I don't know what this chord's called. I'll ask somebody you later. You said shoot up the neck before. It was a phrase that you used that, I, that amused me. <laughs> Now you're shooting up the neck, man. I'm shooting up the neck, and I'm not really thinking, which is great for right, me. Right, Maybe right. some people really want to think. I'm not an. I'm not in life, in guitar, in singing. I am a feeler. I'm mm -hmm. not a. I'm not a thinker. I 
don't think it through. I'm not going to think about it after. Your head can get in the way. Your head gets in the way. In my opinion, I'm not here to say that's right for everyone else, but I don't have a head when it comes to stuff. And it's not that I'm a smart girl. Definitely smart. I've got a master's degree in science. It's not a, a brain thing. It's just, for me, music is all about feeling. And yeah. same with writing. So if I shoot up the neck, it's literally a shot up the neck. And then I'm taking pictures with my phone now because I, I won't remember... I don't know what to call the chord. Oh, right. You right. know, because my fingers are in some kind of weird shape that inspired me in the moment. Right. It's that, it's that, that, the, I don't say it's a chip, but on the shoulder, but it's like the liability of being an untrained musician is you don't know the language. No. So, like, where is that line between knowing enough to speak the language, but yet not sullying yourself with the rules? Having beautiful, wonderful, talented, great people around like Scrote yeah. and the guys today, Carl and Ross, who uh, Carl just smiles and laughs. And when he gets my chord sheets and yeah. uh, Scrote will say, well, that's actually a yeah, bling, yeah. bling, bling with a bling on the bottom and a bling on the top. And I'm yeah. like, great. He's translating. And it's wonderful. And I uh, I appreciate it so much. And, and I admire people who do that, yeah. that can do that, that that's their language, that they have that knowledge. I don't have a desire to learn it because yeah. I'm already doing it, if that makes sense. I was always the and guy... And I don't mean that in any kind of snobby way. Yeah, yeah. It's just like, well, I'm already doing it as long as I can ask somebody what the chord is or show it to a bandmate. Yeah. I was the guy, you know, I would always, a lot of times, when I'm the front man in a band, it's obviously easier. I can just say, <clears throat> excuse me, you know, this is this chord with a third and the bass and it's a walking bass line and this is a pedal tone and this is ostinato right. and these all these words. And so I learned the language, right? Um, but I've, when I've been the, the scroach or I've been like the, the, the complimentary player in someone else's band, oftentimes I've been the guy translating for the singer to the rest of the band. Like, oh, hey, this, Thank you. this is the third in the bass with the descending thing and then the ostinatos here and this fits in there. And I feel like, you know, my, my theory teachers would probably be proud of be, Well, probably angry because what, from what I'm about to say, <laughs> which is that I learned... To your point, the feeling thing, right? Mm -hmm. And wanting to be a visceral songwriter, wanting yes. to be a songwriter who wrote from the heart. I wanted to be able to speak the language, but I didn't want to know all of it, if that makes a sense. I intentionally yes. kind of stopped at one Because you can't point. unknow what we talked about right. earlier. I wanted to speak the language, and I can speak the language just fine. I can relate to you players and tell them flat nines and sharp fives and what a substitution chord is and all these things. But like, you know, like at some point when I hear some jazz, it, it's not interesting to me anymore. Right. Because its complexity is so complex that it's not relatable. Right? Yeah. Like, I feel like the greatest jazz musicians, they're very complex, but they're yet they're relatable. And I was in, you know, I don't know, I'm not saying I'm the anywhere on that continuum. But well, it's I like wanted the Tai to Chi symbol. That. When yeah. it becomes too much, it becomes nothing. When yeah. you get maximum light, you're at dark. And when you get maximum dark, you're at light. Yeah. The crack of dawn is the end of darkness. More so philosophy, more philosophy. Well, and it's true, though, of anything, when there's so much. Yeah. Then it just becomes a big nothing. Yeah. Or, you know, you, again, you can't see the mountain when you're standing right in front of yes. it. Yes. Because it's too big to comprehend. The human mind is, is limited in a lot of ways. Anyway, so let's talk about, we're, we're kind of, we've kind of stumbled through it kind of partially anyway. Yes, but we're like, stumblers. Talking about writing. Yes. Right? So for you, um, you know, being a kind of semi-untrained musician, is it usually something you start off with your voice? And then you put a guitar under it? No. Or are you to the point now where you're kind of screwing around with the guitar? It's all coming together across? at the same time, okay. but it's never a melody first. It's a, a, I started writing lyrics. It's so funny. I was telling some friends this the other day. I remember my bedroom wall when I was my son's age, which is 10 and 12, and looking, my walls were covered in poetry of my own, just writing poems, like very young, and then, you know, really being able to recognize the difference between a good writer 
you know, and a not good writer, even at a very young age, reading, you know, Ernest Hemingway yeah. and Charles Dickens and Dostoevsky and things that really were the classics that little kids are usually reading Harry Potter nowadays. But uh, at least they're reading for the yes. love of God. Well, and the word was so important to me. And so I think I, I think of myself more as a lyricist and a writer first. Um, and then I started playing guitar. And then that kind of just went together. You know, I sit at my little my little space. I can create that space anywhere, whether I'm traveling or not. My guitar, my little box of things, and uh, tuner and a piece of paper and a pen. I'm old school. I like that. And I will just either pick a scrap of something I may have written earlier in the day or a few days, a line I like. Sometimes somebody will say something in a crowd and I'll lift a line. Uh, that girl's like a dark cloud. I'm like, boom, write a song called yeah. Dark Clouds. You know, just sort of can lift little pieces. And sometimes it's a feeling, really. I'll wake up with a feeling. It can be a feeling that I'm experiencing in my life, something not so good. Um, it can be something someone's going through that they're telling me. That's the great thing about being a writer is everybody, you know, they hear the record and they go, oh my gosh, are you okay? It's so dark, you yeah, know. Yeah. Um, I, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a writing, it's a leap, it's a thought. One of the yeah. songs on the record, Devil Woods, is about a field where I grew up when I was a kid. And we used to run through this field uh, to get to school and the kids all told each other stories about the field, that there was a murderer in there that you know, killed children and you had to run. And I just one day was talking with Scrooge and he was like, that's a great idea for a song. You should write, and just wrote the lyric in like 20 yeah. minutes and then started writing some music. So yeah, a lot of times they come together. A lot of times it's it's a just a, like a rhythmic thing on the guitar and then some words and then or the a melody. drum loop like you were talking about before. That's a fun, that's a whole new thing and that has just been a really exciting surprise. Yeah. Just a new way to write. And because of it, you're starting from a different point. It just takes you different places musically on the guitar yeah. and... With yeah. your voice. And then before, you know, when we were setting up or after that last song, you were talking about like how hearing hearing it with an arrangement of musicians, mm. you know, having just written something. And that's what I wanted to say was that I'm, I don't have a band right now and I'm terrible at finishing songs because uh. it, without hearing, I mean, I can hear stuff in my head. You know, I've produced albums. I produced my own album, produced albums for other people. I can imagine all these things. But getting that oral, AU oral feedback from other players Absolutely. and what they bring into that song and, you know, having them be a, a creative environment where we can work together and I'll make, you know, my ba former bandmates may disagree, but sometimes I'll have a very strong idea about something and I'll be bossy about it. Like, hey, I really hear, you got to hold the pedal tone here. It's, that's what it is. Right. In my head, right? And other times it's like, hey, just do, you know, I have no idea what I want, so go, please. You know, and I, to play with me, I kind of need a little bit of both of those things as the writer. So to not have a band means I'm not going to finish anything because I want to have, I want to be able to take it to some guys or girls and have them throw their thing in there. And then, then it like, then it creates, goes from like a little spark to a wildfire. What's well, the interplay? Me. That's yeah. the magic. Yeah. Yeah. I and still it, get that magic. I, I I think of myself as like a mother with lots of children and because I'm a prolific writer. I could write four or five songs a week since I was 16. So hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of songs. I probably have 40 or 50 for this new record to sort through. Um, so for me, it's about letting the babies go when I get in a room right, with people right. and just not being attached to where they go. So they're like little muffins that are undressed. They don't have the chocolate chips in them yet or the icing on them and th there's no yeah. swirls or sprinkles. But uh, yeah, my child songs are it, the metaphor is very true for me. I use it all the time. Songs to me are like children, and some children are just easy in the world. They just raise themselves and off they go. They be they become what they were going to be, no matter what you do, and yeah. you know, they don't need a lot of hands-on treatment. Some children are climbing up the, the wall, climbing up the cabinet, sticking the knife in the outlet, 
pouring milk on your computer. Now, do you find, you know, over time, looking back historically for you, do you find that the difficult ones end up being better songs in the end run or not necessarily no. so? It's it doesn't matter. Sometimes the best ones are like a 30-second song that they're came all, too fast. They're, for me personally as a writer, they're all their own thing. And that's the perfect metaphor as the children. Like, sure, like maybe there's some, there, there's a different amount of pride for each one. When the child who was very mm. difficult, the song as the child who was very difficult grows up and becomes a great song. Sure. And it was very difficult process birthing that song and rearing, as they say in the South, rather than raising. There's a, there's a, a joy in that. Like, ah, damn, I did it. I got that little bastard out of the nest and now he <laughs> or she is off doing their own thing and they're great, right? But then sometimes there's those moments where like the songwriting guff, that the, big, muse. the muse just dr- dumps it on you. Yeah, I and love that. And that's satisfying in a very different way. I love that. That's you know, a great that, That's thing. like the gift. Like in some ways, that's even more rewarding. It's like, hey, thank you. Who and whatever you people are or Well, and then taking are, it from there you. to making an album. One of the things yeah. I love about a lot of people like to produce themselves or co-produce. And one of the things I love about working with a great producer and certainly was the experience working with Scrote on this record is... Um, if you can stay open, if you can be proud of your children and you're putting them in school, so to speak, when you're starting to make a record, but being open to the process um, of a producer coming in and helping to shape and to deliver what it is you're trying to say and in the way you're trying to say it, it can be a really unique and uh, amazingly beautiful experience to have that interplay where somebody comes in and goes, hey, what if we what if we double time this song? What if we cut it in half? You know, and you, as a writer, if you're attached to it too tightly, that openness can't be there to hear it. And some of the biggest, greatest wins for me on this record were times where Scrote threw something out that was so out of my, yeah, I'd yeah. never even thought of. And then it was like, oh, that was the absolute right call. And even w- one thing when Jackson came to sing on that song. Jackson Brown, we're talking yes, about Yes, Jackson now. Brown, thank you. We did it at his studio, and it was a really special song for me because I wrote the song when I was 16, and I dug it up for this record. And uh, he was really sort of moved by that fact, and he thought that the lyrics were really beautiful and innocent. He said, that's not the lyric you could write later in life that you could write at 16. Right. And he actually came to me and said, I have a few suggestions. And I, I love that. I love uh, being open. We had already cut the lead vocal, so I was able to fudge a little bit and make some changes that he had suggested, but didn't have the opportunity to recut everything. But yeah. it was nice to have that input and to know that someone, you know, that's the interplay. That's like, oh yeah, that's way yeah. better. Like, oh, I hadn't mm-hmm. thought of that. Um, I love that. I love when people come in. One thing I love to do with my songs is re like rearranging them. See? Not rewriting them necessarily. Yeah. But I feel like, you know, to 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 take that song metaphor from before and bend it a little bit about being children, like there's nature versus nurture. There's what the song is going to be. Yep. Right? There's the melody. Um the chord changes. Changes. You know. But after but after that, you know, even time signature, you know, there were times where I did a song in four. And then later, you know, years later, after playing it 20 million times in shows, like, hey, let's do this in 6-8. Great. You know, and it's like, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. No, and then let's do it in, let's do it up a fifth or a fourth, right? Great. I even had a song that was on my first record, and I really liked it. It came out great. I liked the way it turned out, right? A few years later, I moved to Los Angeles, and then we're playing all the new songs that I had written, and then we're adding just a handful of songs from the first record in, too, because we need more material, and it's fun to play anyway. It's part of my catalog. So we started playing this song, but we came up with a wholly different arrangement of this song. And I liked it so much more than what I did on the last record. We recorded it fully, produced it, mastered it, everything. And almost, we were this close 
to putting it another version of the same song on the second record. That's great. And I decided not to because I was like, well, it's just I'll just save it for a B side of something yeah. or a bonus track because it's like I kind of already did that and I've already got enough songs and I've already just you know it, it doesn't even though it's the same thing it can it's a whole new life out of that song but it feels different now and I'll just save it. I'll just say, we'll play it live. It'll be our version of that thing. But I think things can be, you know, Sting is a good example of that. Mm. Where like you go see Sting play and you'll hear a song. You won't even know what song he's playing until he's halfway through it. Sure. And it's a police song that you've known for 30 years. I love that. I think it's fantastic. And it's, that's, for me, that's the fun part and why producing is so important. I, I feel um, outside of myself, I don't consider myself a producer, although I might be good with someone else. Um, for myself, I, I don't find I have that just that ability to step back. The song that Jackson Brown sang on, um, you know, when I played it for Scrote, it just sounds like a little sweet little folk tune that a 16-year-old would write. And he just put this crazy guitar on it and this great sort of chariots of fire slappy (laughs) drum thing in the background. And it's like, wow. And I remember him sitting me down and going, what what do you think about going this direction? And, you know, maybe being a little tentative, wondering if I was going to, and I was like, you know what? I love it. It's great. Yeah. And and that's where that openness, you know, and I think that does come with experience and time and um and just trusting, trust the process and trust the yeah. players, you know. Well, to your point from before, the song you're going to write when you're an an older musician or not even not even, 16. Even in your 30s. Sure. You know, is going to be wholly different than one that you write when you're younger. Your life experience is different. I've got a song right now. I'm trying it sounds to me like the the song that you'd hear blaring out of a Camaro in 1979 Love it. in the high school parking lot. Sonically, that's what it is, and that's what it song it's telling me it wants to be. But I'm having a hell of a time writing lyrics about that because I'm trying to get into like that Brian Will or uh, uh, Brian Johnson, Bon Scott kind of oh yeah headspace where it's like. What are those simplistic things that you thought about in high school? I'm trying to picture myself in high the school radio, sitting there, and I'm angry. Girls. But I'm angry because I'm, I'm stuck in high school, but I'm having a hell of a time getting there. So what I wanted, I need to find a co-writer who's like 20, because they can remember that. They think they can't, because for them, they think it was a long time ago, but nothing like it was for me. It's a long time ago. Long, sadly. Well, and that, I think it's a fun part, too, about being a lyricist, because people will call me in for stuff like that, and I can just yeah. put on a hat. Hey, Nikki, can you write about this water bottle right now? You've got yeah. like a minute. Sure. Well, that, that kind of stuff's easy. Like, I can do that for, you know, extrapolate, for but when I sit down at the dining room table with my throat coat go. and my journal <laughs> and my whatever, like, what, that's the hardest time for me to write is when I'm focused at it. It's easy any other time of the day. Do you write as you're, like, cruising around? Like, I'll write in my totally, phone. Totally. I write everywhere. I'll, okay, All good. the time, every day. And yeah. I've got... I've got hundreds upon hundreds of... In the phone. I call them seeds. Yeah. The I audio things, I call them song seeds. Hundreds, hundreds, hundreds. The last time I digitized them from a microcassette recorder, 15 years ago, I had 587 of them at that point. 20 of which wound up as songs, maybe 30. Yeah, it stacks of cassettes. And since then, I probably have four times as much as that. And you remember those little players, the cassette players mm-hmm. with the buttons? Yeah, a little realistic looking thing. Oh, yeah. I like the click. Spring-loaded plastic clicks. It's hard to be romantic about plastic, but let's do it for just a second. Anyway, we're almost out of time. Let's Great. get to this last song, Nikki. Yes. Tell me what this is. This is called "Looping." Um, this, so, this of this batch of new tunes that we did today, um, and to lose a girl was the only one from the album but of this batch this is sort of the most that's going to be the web extra by the way oh great the title track that's going to be people should drop by in depth day and check that out it's going to be a video for that on the youtube channel as well wonderful and there's also a music video up on my nikki corbett facebook very nice page. So I'm and on Go youtube on. um so anyway this is kind of one of the more experimental guitar it started with a guitar riff um and you'll hear me just starting out with a little riff moving up and down the neck shooting and up the neck shoot i'm shooting for the stars shooting up the neck yeah man there's nothing like a good riff 
When the songwriting gods deliver a good riff, it's like, oh, that's the best thing. It's the best thing. And for me, it's percussive. I don't know if it's because I like drums so much. One of my first instruments was drums and percussion. So I always go for stuff that's kind of percussive. So that's that's what that one, how it started. And that's called looping. All right. One last time, Nikki Corbett and her band, the track looping. Brand new tune on Independence Day.
Nikki, badass again. Joe, Thank you so much. This is great. So cool. We got to so do cool. this again, and we'll bring other people. Yeah, we'll bring other fun. I would fun, you know friends. I, I, I should. I wish I could do this every day. I know it's honestly, a great thing. it would be so much fun to do this every single day. I mean, I do it. You know, I'm, I've got people in and out of here all the time, and I, I. But I just, I love opening my home and bringing people into like my world. It's and, a very nice thing that you do, making them comfortable, and then talking to them about these topics. It's just, I would, I started doing this show because I was talking about it all the time anyway. Figure no one's ever asked me these things, so I like it. It's yeah, great. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm you're glad I didn't time. have time to pre-think it. Because and it's thank good you to hear it. for sharing your music. Thank you. Thank for you for sharing us. your viewpoints and your talents. And thank I you wish you the absolute best. You got a brand new record, but not done. You're kind of in. Nope, how just, far along are you? Just the, past the writing stage, trying to okay. sort tunes, figure out who's going to play on it, who's going to be around. Haven't cut any. Do it. Haven't cut any wax yet, or lined up. No wax yet. But I am working on the other project with Blair Sinton. That's called Cellar Floor. Okay. As in C E L L A R seller and floor F L O O R because it could be seller floor like S E L L E R floor seller like your basement yeah okay and uh, you can find some some song uh, one of the songs is up on YouTube if you want to hear it okay Um, and then so the record and then you've well you've got a show coming up. Yes. Uh, on the 17th of October, which is not too long from now. It's at the Moore York Gallery. Will Amazing that be a full gallery. band show? Or? Um, probably like this a little bit more. For, with, last time we had trumpet. Nate Walcott mm-hmm. played with us. He's an amazing trumpet player. Like semi-acoustic is what I call those shows. Yeah, I call I them semi-electric, semi-acoustic, yeah. Yeah, not full bore, not which full is so bore. much fun. I miss that so much. Uh, yes, and the gallery is not to be missed. It's okay. an incredible workspace of uh, a gentleman named Clark. Where is that space? It's at 50th and York okay. in so Highland like, Park. Like Highland Park, as yeah. I say, Glossal Park, Highland Park area. Amazing, amazing All space. Right. Well, maybe, what day of the week is that? That's a 17th, Saturday night. Saturday night. Oh, yeah. oh, I'm not sure the time yet. It'll be about 8 or 9, but okay. uh, it's definitely a, a space worth seeing. It used to be an old roller rink from the 20s or 30s in the neighborhood, and then a grocery store, and now it's... Claire's workspace. Oh, well, fantastic. Thank you, Nikki. I appreciate it so very thank much. Thank you, Joe. Really appreciate you doing this and having us. So thank you ever so much to Nikki Corbett and her band, Scrote, Ross, and Carl. Also to the Independence Day staff, Valentina Rivera, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The well-heeled Tony Tone Loke Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Be sure to check them out. For Independence Day, as always, I am Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another.